You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, and a great famine came over the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of town, and brought him to the brow of a hill on which their town was built, so that they might throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he walked on his way. This passage brings out something very uh, very near and dear to my heart. Whenever I've um, been involved in churches, I tend to get involved in um, the mission work very quickly, um, I have a real heart for um, people on the margins, uh, people that are, are actually oppressed in a culture, for the poor especially. It's one of the ones I'll focus on this morning. Um, one of the things that I, I grieve a bit in our culture, and I'll, I'll say this, and uh, feel free to talk to me if you disagree, but I'll tell you, one of the shifts I think we've made in our culture is we used to say there's a problem, we need to raise awareness about it, 
And then over time, what happens is we name the problem specifically, and then we figure out how to remedy the problem so we can get past it. And today, one of the things that I lament greatly is my perception anyway, is people now think that raising awareness and making a difference are the same thing. Really, the first step of making a difference is to raise awareness. But what's happening now is so many people raising awareness of different things in the culture. And so oftentimes for something even like this, like the poor, the downtrodden, the people on the margins of our society, those that are forgotten, we can even see people talking about that. And it's almost like white noise. Because what our brains do is if we go, well, everything's on fire, then our brains just go, well, nothing's on fire. You can't put out all those fires. And so we can neglect some actual things that where Christians need to step in and where historically Christians have. What's happened in their culture, I'll show you this, is all those people that he just mentions, the captive, the blind, the poor, the oppressed, they're on the, they're on the outskirts. Rome didn't care about them. And Jesus says, not my people, we care about everybody. And he's gonna say, we make a beeline for them and we go and minister to them. And it's really fascinating to me that you just heard Mary Jo read it. The scene is at a synagogue in Nazareth. And in one setting, Jesus goes and he talks about the poor. He talks about the oppressed. And it says they marveled at his gracious words. And then about seven verses later, they want to throw him off a cliff. But Jesus was sneaky. If you heard the end of it, it said he got away. What happened between, wow, we love this guy to let's throw him off a cliff. So here's the background to the story in Luke chapter four. We've been studying this um, and Luke, uh, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, anointed by the Spirit at his baptism, led by the Spirit, if you remember, into the wilderness to be, have this face off with Satan, this temptation um, that he passed the test of. And now it says he's empowered by the Spirit to begin his ministry. Verse 14, Jesus returned, it says, in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him, the word report in Greek is fame, where we actually get the word fame. This report about him went throughout all the surrounding country. Jesus is starting to get famous. And as Christians, we go, ah, good, he's getting popular. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Okay, let me give you background as to what's about to happen. Jesus is from Nazareth, and he is about to be in Nazareth. And they would, have, they would go to synagogue every Sabbath day. They would have a service. They would sing psalms. And then the center, the main crux of the service was um, there would be an attendant that would hand a scroll and, and they would get the scroll and somebody would open up the scroll, I imagine, very carefully, these Old Testament scrolls, and they would pull them out and they would read them. Now, this is before chapters and verses. So he's talking about he reads from Isaiah. He couldn't just go, to, he has to and go through and find where the passage is. So he would unroll, he would stand up, everybody else would stand up as they would read, and he would translate from Hebrew generally to Aramaic. And then when he gets done, it would be a little bit of, there'd be a little drama with it, like an intentionally old pageantry, and then set it down, and then he would sit in a high place, they called it, it was like an, something a little elevated, saying, I have authority now to teach and explain the thing that you just heard. And the people some, sometimes would stay standing. Most of the time, they would sit once the reading of the, uh, the scriptures is done. And he would, do, he would read it, and then he would basically give a little message. He would exposit or explain the scriptures and what they just read. They would have guest rabbis that could come in even and speak as well if they were qualified. And that's what Jesus is doing. He came to Nazareth, verse 16, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. 
The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll, found the place where it was written. This is a prophecy from the Old Testament about the Messiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has set me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor." He goes through four groups that were neglected. The Romans did not care about them whatsoever. One, in my mind, that that rises especially is the poor. Um, In that day, now, here's what happened. Rome didn't care because they were a drag on society. Uh, The Jews, the followers of Yahweh, these God followers, they did, but you can see a lot of their leaders had sort of lost their way. So uh, in Matthew chapter six, Jesus has to um, say, um, uh, when you give to the needy, don't go and sound the trumpets like the hypocrites do. When you give, uh, he's rebuking essentially the Pharisees. When you give, do it so your right hand doesn't know what your left hand is doing. This is calling attention to what you're doing. This is using the poor, the needy, as props to make yourself look good. I was one time, you know what the 2021 equivalent of that is? Instagram. I was on a mission trip with a kid, and uh, I think this was in, uh, I think it was Orlando, and um, he, he's, he had been serving, he'd actually been doing a great job all week, middle school kid, and then, but he hadn't taken any pictures, and he's social media, uh, so, you know, teenage kid, social media, and so he wanted to get some pictures, and there's nothing wrong with getting pictures on mission trips, but his words to me were, he said, um, I haven't got any pictures can you take a picture of me? And he handed me his phone and he said, can you go over there? And he said, I'm going to act like I'm serving. And can you get a picture? And I went, and he'd been serving great all week. So I think I sort of know what he meant. Like, I know we're kind of done, but I want to get a picture. But when he said, act like I'm serving, I about chunked his phone into the little river next to us. And he said that, and I said, no. And I put it in my pocket and he said, why not? And I said, because they're people, not zoo animals. Go serve them. And to his credit, he goes, you're right, and went over and then hung out and they started playing dodgeball or basketball or something like that. But that's a lot of times what can happen is like, look, look how great I am, look, look at what I'm doing. That's what they're doing. They, they would use the poor as props to call attention to themselves. Remember Paul writes a chapter about love. He says, if I give everything I have to the poor, surrender my body to the flames, but I don't love these people. If I have not love, he says, I gain Nothing. So it seems like the Jewish leaders largely had forgotten about the heart of God for the poor. And so I think what's happening when Jesus reads this, I think people are sitting there listening and they're looking at each other going, thank God, somebody's saying it. Like our leaders have have left. Our leaders have done something else. And if you just look at the heart of God from the Old Testament, and by the way, all the way through the New Testament, for the poor, for everybody, for the people that other people don't care about, I'm sure these people are going, thank you that somebody is standing up and saying it. I have a fear today that we can use the poor, the needy, we can use them as props to feel better about ourselves. I went and served and it makes me think, oh good, at least my life's not like theirs. I feel good about doing a good thing. That's why I I do it, because I feel good. That's not what the scriptures call us to. I have to confess I'm quite jaded on this. I don't want to pull you into my jadedness. So I've practiced how I say some of these things in particular. I would love to have a conversation with a church leader, civic leader, politician, whoever it is, and when they talk about their heart for the marginalized, the oppressed, and the poor, I would like to ask a two-part question. The first one is, have you ever met somebody who's in abject poverty? 
Have you ever been in a slum with them? Have you ever looked them in the eye? And the second part of that is without a camera crew next to you. Have you ever just done it, not for PR, not for anything else, not to try and get elected, but simply because you love them and you actually care about these people? I hope that every time if I asked that question, I would just have egg in my face and every single time they would say yes. I'm skeptical that that would be the case for, the, the, the case today. And then what Jesus does next says he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. This is now he's going to teach. And all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. So he's about to exposit or explain what he just said. And he does not disappoint. Listen to what he says. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He's saying this is happening through me. The Messiah is now here. The someday that you've been waiting for is today. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious works that were coming from his mouth. When it says gracious, it doesn't mean some, some slick speaker. That's not what it's talking about. This is referring to the content. This is when he's saying, look at these groups of people and we want to go, we want to bring, uh, we want to help them. They're saying, this is a good thing. This is a gracious thing. This is the heart of God. This is the first sermon that Luke records of Jesus. And he says, today the scripture has been fulfilled. The first thing he does is he talks about the people that are on the margins and God's heart for them. And they go, well, we like this. This sounds really good and gracious. It sounds a lot like our world today. Well, we like this part. We, we like this part. Let's, let's care for the poor. Let's care for the sick. Let's care for that. Let's care for those people. That sounds really good. I, I honestly don't know, and it varies person to person. So um, how much do they really mean that versus how much is it smug self-righteousness just sort of sp speaking that? I'd ask the question again, have you ever Talk to these people. Do you really have a heart? Are they personal to you? Or is it just sort of this amalgam of uh, the, all the same kind of people? Are they real to you? They like that a lot. And then in about five verses, they go, mm, let's throw them off a cliff. So what happens next is difficult to understand. And I'm gonna try to find the best thread through this to try and explain. And if you miss all this, at the very end, what I'll do is say, if you were there sitting that day, here's what you would have heard. And I'll sum it up for you. But here's what he's about to say, okay? This is what's gonna happen next. This is what set him off. They're about to say, wait a minute, this is Joseph's son. He's from Nazareth. <gasps> we're from Nazareth. This is, this is our hometown boy. You know, this is like you picture the Olympics and then you go, oh, they're from Colorado Springs or they're from wherever. And, and, you know, like they have the cameras back at home and they're like, that's our guy, that's our gal, like out there doing that. They're going, this is him. This is Joseph's son. He's from Nazareth. And Jesus says, now, and what you're probably gonna tell me is this, this proverb of physician, heal yourself, which means that a doctor is supposed to take care of himself before he can actually take care of other people. So picture the doctor that you're in, the, you're in there and he comes in and just panting and panting and panting and you go, what's going on? And he's got like a cheeseburger in his pocket and he's just sitting there eating. And he goes, I walked four feet across the hall. It's gonna take me a little bit to you know, calm down and be able to talk with you. And you go, okay, okay. And then he goes, here's your diet and exercise plan that I've prepared for you you would go, you should take care of you first. That, that's the idea behind the proverb. And so what they're saying when they're going, this is Joseph's son, he's from Nazareth. They're saying um, he should take care of us in Nazareth first. Because if you think about how, how um, the, the Jewish mindset was, 
You have all the Gentile nations. You have the nation Israel. They know their genealogy. They know the father of the father of beget, beget, beget. They know all that. They know their lineage. They go back to Abraham. They know the tribe that they are in. It's very important to them. They have been God's special, unique people for a long time. And so now they're going, this is sweet. This is Joseph's son, and he's from Nazareth. And so we're in Nazareth. So it went from the whole world to just Israel, to just Nazareth, to just us in this little synagogue. This is great. We've got a leg up on everybody else. And what Jesus does, this is what really sets them off, is he tries to explain to them that the message that he is bringing is for everybody. What really sets them off is he's trying to say, that's always been the case. There's been times in Israel's history where they had just outright rejected God. God gives some kind of famine and things like that. There's some kind of punishment. And so he says, there's been times when that was happening. And so what happened? God moved his prophets and his people to go and to serve the Gentiles, the heathen, as they would think of them, around them. And he gives two examples, Elijah and Elisha. And with Elijah, there were plenty of widows within Israel, but Israel was being punished. And so what happened? He sent Elijah, he said to go to uh, the widow of uh, Zarephath, I believe it is, in Sidon. Doesn't matter if you don't know where that is, uh, it's not in Israel. In other words, remember in the Old Testament, Israel had rejected, so, so what did God do? He said, go take care of the people, the Gentiles that are outside of Israel. He did that periodically. The other one that he did, and I actually told you this story several weeks ago, was Naaman, the head of the, or, or part of the um, uh, Syrian army, came in and he had leprosy, and he said, what do I do? And Elisha sent a messenger, you know, yeah, Elisha sent a messenger out to him, and um, he's, not, he's not an Israelite, he's Syrian. He, he's outside the nation Israel. And what happens? There's people in Israel that had leprosy, but God said there's people outside as well. Israel was being punished at the time, and so he says, God's heart went outside of just your little circle. What he's really trying to get at is what matters is faith, is trusting in God. They're all saying, we've got a special in, and he goes, hang on. God historically has been looking for people that desire him, and they come to him through faith. Let me read it, and I'll sum it up again at the end. They said, is this not Joseph's son? Ah, this is our boy. He's in Nazareth. Good. And then Jesus, they're getting excited still, and Jesus goes, where's that cold water? And goes, boom, and splashes it with cold water. And he said, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. Take care of that first. So take care of Nazareth first. We heard what you did in Capernaum, not your hometown, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown, but in truth I tell you there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, a great famine came, the, came over the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them in Israel, but only to Zarephath, the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow, went outside the Israelites. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet of Elijah, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. What he's trying to say is this message is the, the, the plan of God is that this message would not just be for some little inner circle. The message is not just, well, we get here and forget everybody else. It's all really about us. This is we take this message and we go and we take it to the world. That God has a heart not just for the poor. He has a heart for the rich as well. He has a heart for everybody. And his church is supposed to model that 
to the world. Now, if you were sitting there that day, here's what you would have heard, okay? So this is maybe a good summary for you. The first thing he does is he says, look at all these people. They have physical needs that need to be met. Let's go meet them. And then the thing they don't like is after that, he says the thing they really need is faith. And he's actually telling these people the thing that you really need is faith. In fact, did you catch what happened when he stood up and he talked about the oppressed, the poor, the captive, and the blind, that they would be preached to? And then he sat down and said, it's been fulfilled today in this reading. Did you catch what he just did? They didn't catch it. He was talking about on two very different levels. He's talking about physical needs, and he's also saying there's some spiritual oppression going on in your lives. You're poor in the things that actually matter and you need to be rich in faith. He's telling them they're the poor, they're the oppressed, they are captives. They are captive to their sin and they are captive to the law. And he says, and the answer to it is the Messiah who is standing right in front of you right now and you are too blind to see it. And they didn't get it and they all went, that was a pretty good sermon he just gave. I think Jesus probably did that, I don't know. And so he tells them, we need physical needs met, but more than anything, spiritual needs as well. This is the charge of Christians. We have physical needs and spiritual needs that we meet in different people. And I told you, I've done this uh, a while. I've, I've been all over the world and then here locally and, and working with people and um, really had to think deeply about this. And I'll just give you my embarrassing sort of journey. I remember very specifically a time where we were going and, and some of us were gonna do the Bible story and some of us were gonna hand things out to people that were poor, to these kids. And I thought, well, I'll do the Bible story because that's the real ministry is the Bible story. And so I got up and I acted out the Bible story and then and honestly, in my spirit, I was much younger, I remember kind of thinking like, that's nice, that's cute, you're giving them you know, water and toys and playing with them and things like that. And I thought, this is the thing that matters, and this, the thing they physically need, is sort of second tier. And then that night, we were there with our team, and we were debriefing at the end of the night, and, um, and one, of the, one of the women said, uh, she said, um, it was so great. She was, on the, she was on the B team over here. And she said, it was amazing, the seeing their response, the power of a Christ follower giving them water. And I went, oh, darn it. That's really good. And you know what happened in my mind? I went, woo, and I swung over here. And I was like, well, next time you guys do the Bible story, that's fine. I'm going to be the one that's passing all these things out. And so the next trip, I was like, that, that's nice, but they really need these things. It's the power of a Christ follower passing things out. And so all I did was pass stuff out. And in fact, this was in, this was in Guatemala at an orphanage. We're passing stuff out. And I remember looking around and seeing what's happening and other people are not just handing things, they're talking to people and they're praying with people and things like that. And I think I was just so young and dumb that I was just like, I'm just giving out toothbrushes. I was a toothbrush station. I did a good job passing out those toothbrushes. And then something hit me and I kid you not, this is what went through my mind. If all I do is I watch all these other people meeting needs and their, uh, meeting their physical needs and their spiritual needs, I thought if all I do with my life is pass out these toothbrushes, I'm giving people cleaner teeth on their path to hell. There's gotta be more than that. And I learned some of it. And here's where I learned it. I actually learned it when I was at Rockland. I was in Arusha. Uh, in Tanzania with Arusha Lutheran Medical Center. Dr. Jacobson was there and we went. It was, I'd just gotten here, so probably four or five years, five years ago, something like that. And we're sitting 
in that room, in, in a room, he just wanted to chat with us. We got to meet him. Amazing man, amazing ministry that they have at this, uh, this hospital over there. And we're sitting in the room and I'm listening to him and, and he's sharing, he says, he says, I'm going to guess that you think like Westerners. And um, he said in Western, because we were talking about, are you, are you meeting physical needs or spiritual needs? And he said, you're thinking like Westerners. Westerners do exactly what I'm doing. You have physical needs and you have spiritual needs. You might have emotional needs. You might have other needs, relational needs, whatever. And we put them into different categories and see how to meet them. And he says, in an Eastern context, we don't think of it like that. We think about caring for the whole person. Caring for the whole person. I'm gonna remember that one. And so what happened is like they would come into the hospital and I was going, is this spiritual? Is this physical? Like, what are you doing? And he said, it has to be both. Like we live in a time where if all we do is help people physically and we haven't prayed for them or talked about their heart and their life, they'll go, well, what are you doing? Like it would be almost rude. And so this Eastern idea of just saying, let's care for the entire person was a remarkable eye-opening thing for me. What he is trying to say, one of the things Jesus is communicating is we are not just trying to rescue people from poverty. We're not just trying to rescue them and and help them get their physical needs met. But ultimately what the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be about is we are supposed to rescue them from the judgment that would be coming, that we share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. They didn't like that part. They wanted Jesus for themselves. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. They were filled with anger and rage. They rose up, drove them out of town, brought them to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw them off the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Now the question would be, what can we actually do with this? Because it sounds really good to go meet spiritual needs, physical needs, meet needs, meet the needs of people. Everybody go do that. And the reality is this is one of the things that being a church, being a gathered group of believers, this is one of the benefits that we, that we have. Of, of we gather together, we pool our resources. We have, we have money that we give to different organizations. We have opportunities to go and serve. I mean, the thing for me that really took um, the poor, especially from just being some group of people out there that I knew existed or drive by and see the, you know, the tents or whatever it is, was I would get face-to-face and you start to see them and your heart just can't help, but all of a sudden just start to melt. And I fully understand that not everybody can do that. Maybe there's safety issues or health issues or something like that to say, just so everybody go serve the homeless. I wanna remind you, and I'm gonna do this periodically about the different ministries that we serve with. In fact, um, uh, several years ago, we actually met with a bunch of different ministries to find out, are they a Christian ministry? Do they have a Christian end or are they, uh, they just kind of passing out toothbrushes. And it's not a bad thing, but as a church, we say, can we do, can we do more? Can we, can we care for the whole person? So we've got about five ministries that we really partner with. Um, I wanna mention them to you again. Many of you know Mean Street Ministries. They have, my, my shorthand, I wrote burritos and Jesus, but let me tell you, it's way more than that. It is a homeless ministry on the streets and they go and they build relationships with people. They meet their physical needs for food and then they also build relationships and they have story after story of people that have trusted Christ and been lifted out of poverty as a result of, um, of that ministry, and we support them a lot. Loaves and fishes. Actually, Mean Street um, apparently had some extra New Testament, so we got them to Loaves and Fishes, one of our other ministries. They give out Bibles. They, they do a really nice job of helping get people back on their feet. 
Instead of just, here's a whole bunch of stuff, but to, to meet them, to get to know them, they come through loaves and fishes. They, do, they, they shop, they call it, and they can go through and they can get food, but relationships are built to help these people get back on their feet. The hope is they're there for a little bit and then they're not anymore because they want them to get back on their feet. And they have scripture everywhere. There's prayer happening, caring for the whole person. Claire Creek Rockhouse is another one, actually right across the street from Loaves and Fishes. They mentor kids, bring them to faith in Christ, Christians interacting uh, with them. Remarkable, remarkable ministry. I'm, I'm, I'm biting my tongue to just talk about each of these for like 20 minutes. I don't know how many stories of these uh, girls in Tanzania where no one cares if a young lady gets an education, um, the difference their sponsors make in their life, not just to help them get educated, but to also connect with them, write letters to them, things like that to nurture the spiritual side as well. We have people on the ground that work with them. In Romania, we have the same thing. I've been to Romania and um, been in the homes of the people that we serve. And um, we have people on the, we were helping them get an education, high schoolers especially, getting an education. And also we have people on the ground that are walking through life with them and discipling them through world vision. What I'd encourage you to do is figure out if you can take one deeper step. I'll give you a for instance. Let me, well, I, I generally don't give a lot of money to secular organizations. I tend to give them to Christian groups. Now, not all secular organizations are evil. Please don't hear, hear that. If a Girl Scout comes up, don't go, are you Christian? Buy the cookies, all right? It doesn't matter. Like there's times to do it, but I'll just tell you as a general rule, I've looked and I've thought we're kind of giving some over here. And I wonder if, if we were to repurpose that over here, if that would be something that could actually reach people spiritually as well. I'm gonna encourage you to start serving at some of these ministries. I'll tell you a little more about that here in just a minute. The other thing you might be able to do if you think I can't go, um, most of the people that serve at these ministries, a lot of them are here at Rockland in our congregation. There's a couple here, I'm not gonna point them out. Um, mean Street especially, we have the, the, the leaders there come to Rockland. If you can't get close to the poor for whatever reason, you can get close to those who are close and make, make the poor not some hypothetical group of people, but actual people loved dearly by God. Um, Another way you might be able to do it is giving. If you tithe already to Rockland, then you're already a part of this. Um, if you're a guest, ignore me. If you've been really hit by COVID, just ignore me for just a moment. But those of us, we tithe to Rockland and we have a team of, well, we have a bunch of people that look at this part that say, we've got this, let's take this money and let's figure out how can we actually put it in the community to make a difference for Jesus Christ. You might, uh, if your gift is giving, you might wanna send a leader on a youth trip or when we go to Tanzania, again, you might say, I can't go, but I'm gonna send somebody that wants to go. There's ways, there's all sorts of different ways to serve. One of the things that we did here at Rockland, I mentioned a while back is um, Clear Creek Rockhouse is an incredible ministry that does, um, that, does uh, that, that works with underprivileged kids, teenagers especially. And a while back, we were out there and we asked them, what is the thing that you need that no one wants to give you any money for? And they went, I know it. And they walked us out and they showed us the building out front. Those are the steps. And that is the front of the old building. And I went back with our, our, uh, our uh, outreach team, our outreach deacons, and I said, what do, what do we think? They can't raise money for this. If we, help get, if we help with this, then they can raise money. They can go to someone and go, you wanna give money that goes directly to the kids. And it's all accounting anyway. So we're really giving money to the ministry. And I was thinking maybe if we do about half of it or something and they revolted on me and said, why don't we do all of it? And so we did. So this is what it looks like now. 
Or that's what it looked like then. Here's what it looks like now. Matthew, will you go to the next one as well, please? They painted the entire outside and then show that last one. You can leave it up there. This is what it looks like now. And it might look like a paint job, but I asked somebody who works there, Howard Hargrove, many of you know him. I said, what is the significance of this? And he said, kids are proud of it and they want to bring their friends now to this. One of the things they need is mentors. If you really wanna make a difference in a kid's life, because of we got this painted, now they have an influx of kids that need people to walk alongside them. You can be a mentor at Clear Creek Rock House. You could be on our deacon team. We've got loaves and fishes. We have a lady that was the, the liaison from our team with them. She was fantastic. She did a lot of the kind of heavy lifting to really work on our relationship, great relationship with them. And there's a new young couple at loaves and fishes. And I hope that what I've been praying for is God would move in a couple's heart to go and to mentor this new young couple that's leading loaves and fishes. If that's something you wanna do, there's an opportunity there. And the big thing we can all do is we can pray. Pray for these different ministries that God does a work, that the leaders in these places remember their calling and they don't feel the pull to just go, look how many tons of food we got out the door. That sells and that can get you fundraising, but their calling is from Christ to say, we care for the whole person. Maybe there's some things you're already involved in and, and, and so you're in a good spot. Maybe it's what you're involved in. You can up it just a little bit. So for example, one of the other things we're doing, you think the teachers have had a rough year or year and a half or however long it's been? We're bringing, Rockland's bringing burritos to the uh, uh, teachers over at Ralston here this week. Just a sign that says, we love you, we thank you. And instead of just dropping off burritos and they have no idea where it comes from, we just put a little thing that says, from your friends at Rockland, keep up the great work. Because we know that people tend to attribute their, their, um, their opinion of God with uh, their opinion of God's people. And so all we're doing is instead of just giving burritos, we're going, can we do one little thing? So there's gonna be a Rockland logo with a cross and it's gonna say church in a public school here in Colorado this week. If you're sponsoring a Romanian kid, pray for their spiritual renewal. And even though that program is gonna be coming to a close, what if you said for the next year, what I'm gonna do is be on my knees daily for that kid, that God does a remarkable work in their life. If you're sponsoring a kid in Tanzania and you're able to send some letters to him, what if you made it just explicitly spiritual? Here's a, I was praying for you. Here's a scripture for you because we want you to know this. One thing we can all do is we can all commit to praying for these ministries. So what I wanna do as we prepare to take communion, if you could put up that slide with the five ministries. My apologies, that's my shorthand of what they do. Mean Street, a homeless ministry. Loaves and Fishes, I said food and recovery, meaning helping them get back on their feet. Clear Creek Rock House, especially, they do a lot, but mentoring teens. Tanzania, we sponsor girls in school. And then Romania, we sponsor high school students. And here's what I'd like to do. As we prepare to take communion, just like to take a moment and give you an opportunity to, if you need to glance up as you're praying, that's fine. We'll take 30 seconds or so. And just pray that God does a work in these ministries, that they would stay on target and stay on focus, that their ministry would bear great fruit and that they would be encouraged as they meet physical and spiritual needs in people. Let's pray for them.